Welcome to the Rally Point Podcast, where we equip you to support others. I'm Bobby Jackson. And I'm Noah Throw. And today we're going to be talking about how to help people when they are grieving or suffering a loss. Bobby and I will be speaking with a chaplain with over 30 years of experience in grief counseling as he shares his wisdom on how to come alongside people who are hurting. Before we get started today, we are going to be dealing with the topic of grief, loss, and death. And so if that's something that you are dealing with or it might trigger strong emotions in you, it might be a wise time to get a little bit of extra support. We care for you, and these are really important topics that, that we're going to be covering today, but we wanted to give you that heads up. So without further ado, let's, let's get started. This topic is really important because it affects every one of us. Uh, a lot of times... I think in, in American culture, we want to push away the idea uh, of loss or death. We tend to ignore it. We, we try to pretend we're immortal as long as possible. But it affects every one of us. Every one of us is, is going to die, and every one of us is going to experience other deaths uh, along the way. And it's also something that, that many of us are just really uncomfortable with. So we're going to be talking through some really important questions about how the grief process works and how to help people when they're around us and they're suffering. Yeah you just mentioning that we're averse to that because it creates this weird space where we all know it's it's going to happen and then mm -hmm. we're all also trying to avoid it and so when we come into conversations like this mm -hmm. it can be a little bit difficult to approach it with kindness and maybe in an oddly comforting way to talk about it in the sense of you know this is a reality mm -hmm. but it's also a really harsh reality and so trying to find that balance between yeah. being able to talk about it openly but also just acknowledging that either somebody is experiencing grief currently or it's nearby or it's going to happen and so trying mm -hmm. to balance those two things can be kind of difficult and that's why we're super thankful to have ed on the show yeah i mean especially as ministry leaders it's something that we always face I remember going into youth ministry, that's not something that we think about, especially losing mm -hmm. a young person. And so I remember my first funeral of a student and feeling really overwhelmed by the moment, feeling obligated to somehow have the right things to say or do the right things or somehow in that moment have some sort of uh, magical presence that was going to comfort everybody or do something. I just felt so obligated to perform in that moment when... I was myself overwhelmed. And so hopefully today we're going to we're going to walk away with some some helpful thoughts and tips on how to handle those sorts of really difficult, scary, sad and challenging situations. So with that, we are excited to welcome Ed Hunter to the show. Ed was a chaplain serving hospital and community ministries for the past 32 years in Elgin, Illinois. In retirement, he continues to serve several community agencies on their boards or, or in different communities and is still a registry chaplain at St. Joe's Hospital and a volunteer with Fox Valley Hands of Hope, which is an organization that helps others through the grieving process and, and adapting to loss. So Ed, we are so thankful to have you on today. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks, Noah. It's a, it's a pleasure to be with, with both of you today, especially on, on talking about this topic. As a chaplain, it, it's integral into what my ministry has been about. So I'm happy to share some conversation with you. So let's, let's dive into some of these concepts, and then maybe we'll ask you later on for tips and thoughts. But the concept of grief feels really complex, 
both both for people who are in it and and people who want to help how do you think about grief and the process and what people are going through like do you have a framework that you think of like hey uh, you know like this is what comes first or second or or some other format of, of thinking about grief how, how do you conceptualize the process that, that people need to go through you know I, I think what you and Noah were talking about at the beginning saying that we're all uncomfortable with death even the most faith-centered individuals mm-hmm. um, that have strong beliefs uh, struggle mm-hmm. struggle when when it comes to death um, you'll see lots of definitions mm-hmm. and you can google them lots of definitions or descriptions of grief and bereavement um, but one that works for me, that makes sense to me and some folks that I've been with, is that grief is a normal process reacting to loss, and that grief can be a response to physical loss, such as death, um, or social loss, like jobs or relationships. But grief is experienced by a person in their whole physical physical nature, in their mental nature, in their social and emotional and spiritual so grief and loss touches each one of us in the root of our persons, and it's based on our experiences. We learn how to grieve, and we learn how to how to cope with loss. That's really good. So when you're talking about learning how to grieve, do you see in your work as a chaplain, people coming in having learned to grieve in certain ways that are maybe just sort of keep them in grief rather than help them move through the process? Mm-hmm. And then do you help them kind of find a healthy way to move through that process? And what does that look like? I think as, as pastors, as youth ministers, as, as people in leadership and in, in ministry, we need to also do some really self-reflection. And you can do that self-reflection throughout your life on grief and response to grief. You know, um, I, I had a brother who died when he was 14 days old and I was in third grade. Mm-hmm. And um, I grieved at that at that point, but through my life, I've lived with that grief. It hasn't been as mm. intense or, or emotional, but there have been yeah. there have been touch points where I, didn't, I needed to take time to reflect on what yeah. what his death, what his life meant. And so when I when I as a chaplain, um, I, I really believe in theology of presence and being present to um, to people, and that means going going there with an open open mind and open soul. Um, it's a sacred place to be able to accompany somebody or journey with them or, or support someone in the grieving process. And like I said, they, they've learned how to cope with loss. And there's some very positive ways to cope with loss. And there's some ways that really get people complicated and stuck and can be destructive for them. So the job of the chaplain or pastor or minister, from my perspective, is to journey with them, is to listen listen and mm. and guide but not force yeah so that leads to a really important question um and maybe i don't even know maybe this is the wrong way to ask the question but i'm I'll, i'm going to ask it anyway but how do you know when someone is grieving well versus grieving poorly like what do you what do you look for that that helps you to know somebody somebody's going to be okay versus somebody who might might be at risk of getting stuck so i'm going to i'm going to turn around and say it this way. As far as being with somebody as they're grieving, um, grief is a, is a process um, and it's a normal process. Mm-hmm. And there are some guidelines and stages. Um, and I hesitate to say stages because then people do a cookbook kind of thing. This is, you know, go from mm-hmm. one, one through 10 or one through 12. Um, I mentioned before, there's a pastor named Granger Westberg um, who has since died, um, a Lutheran pastor. 
And um, Granger, in his in his ministry, worked with people grieving, and in that he saw some patterns. And um, so he wrote a book, and it's a very simple book called Good Grief. And um, hmm. in that, you know, it's similar to Kubler Ross and Kubler Ross trying to put some put some arms around um, what are some patterns or what are some some guideposts for people as they grieve. And so it's definitely not a cookbook, but it's got some suggestions <laughs> of what people's experience have been. And for Granger, he came around saying that he saw in people commonly 12 or 12 stages of grieving. And um, I interpreted that or I use that that stage kind of description as really like a roadmap for people. Like you're on an island hmm. and there are maybe 12 spots and Bobby's going to go through one through five and seven, and then he'll go back to one. And Evan might go through one through 12. And the, the stages are, you know, denial and, and acceptance is a really hard thing. I think it's over the, over the years, people have talked about wanting to get into acceptance and it's not really acceptance. It's more like, like never forgetting. You never forget the person that's, that's died. But you remember mm-hmm. maybe with less some less pain of the grieving experience. Um, but there are times when people get stuck to Bobby's Bobby's point. And um, how do you know people get stuck? Well, you you your experiences with them tell them that they're not coping well. It might not be mm-hmm. that they're coping the same way that you expect them to cope, because they're going to cope the way they they've learned to cope, and especially tied to the relationship that's different. And when we talk about loss. We realize, as you said before, that it's it's unique, but it's also universal. So everybody's grief is different. In a family, a husband and wife can grieve differently and be in a different place in that island of grief, you know, at different stages of, of, of time. Grief is definitely hard work. I share with people, you're not going crazy. Um, you're mm-hmm. unique in your grief, but there's some similarities. So, so empowering people to to have some understanding it can be really comforting understanding of what the grieving process it can be for some people um but it it really changes with the types of loss the type of loss affects affects one's grieving a sudden death mm. versus an expected death a patient mm. who's been in hospice where where that death is prayed for because the end of suffering is seen as mm-hmm. a, as a positive not that the loss is something that's wished for. Your pastors and youth ministers um, are called to be with folks in very difficult situations, um, sometimes very violent deaths. And there are many just aspects of, of the death that um, that really affect the grief to touch it, touch it directly and guide it. Yeah, so as people go through those processes, this different emotions, the different kind of stages or whatever word, what does it look like? You mentioned the ministry of presence and you value that, but what does it look like to be a co-journeyman or pilgrim together? Or like what it, like when you're doing ministry with them, what, is that, what does that look like when people are in different stages? You know, Bobby, it's reflected in the relationship that you have with the person. What, what can be helpful is to be able to just be quiet and listen. Be comfortable with the silence. Ooh. Be be comfortable, but not not being able to to judge. You know, as a as a pastor, as a youth minister, as a person supporting supporting someone in the throes of grief, being able to just be supportive and be quiet, but to also to watch out for folks as they they are vulnerable and hurting, and to provide mm-hmm. um, 
advocacy for that person. I think a, a chaplain or a pastor, mm-hmm. uh, youth minister has a has a has a very important role in in being an advocate for that person. Certainly helping them meet the primal needs, food, shelter, you know, not overprotective, but not ignoring. When death happens, people don't know what to say. I I reflected back when I was thinking about um, this time with you, I reflected back of a a gentleman that I was ministering with. His, His wife died, and prior to that, he had retired. And so he lost half of his world. Um, when he retired. Mm. And then as I was with him, he said, um, I feel like I've lost the other half because my family and friends don't know what to say to me. Um, they don't, they don't bring up my wife's name because, because why? Well, because they're afraid to upset him because sometimes reliving those memories. So at, at what point does a person's memories become cherished? as opposed to very just difficult and, and wanting to subdue and submerge. So I think I think a, a pastor, a youth minister, a, a supportive person has the ability to do some education, but to mainly listen and support. I mean, we're on a sacred route when we're when we're with somebody that's grieving. And that sacred mm-hmm. route is is there's no easy answer. Um, grief is hard work. And you also need to take care of yourself as you're helping others. And there's a point where you, I think, I think things like this to get us to think about our own personal response to grief in our own role as a, as a bereavement support for an individual or a family. And especially in ministry, oftentimes there's a long-term relationship that you're going to walk with that. Just like people have walked with me as I reflect when I got married, my brother wasn't there, uh, wasn't part of that. And so there was a, there was a snapshot of grief that um, they're touchstones where we remember Mm. that person. Yeah, that's really Mm. powerful. I think it's interesting that you're talking about that complex moment where you're in a community or in a season of life or a moment in time that is supposed to be really joyful, you know, your wedding or being with your friends or holidays or, you know, years after that loss, you can still feel that pang or that grief just come up in those moments. And that can be really just complex. Because, you know, it's I'm supposed to be so happy. This is supposed to be a joyful moment. And I am joyful. And yet at the same time, I feel this loss. And holding those two things can be really difficult. And if you are not the person experiencing that, it can be really difficult to try to speak into that. And so as you're saying, listening and being a presence can be one of the most powerful things because you don't have to necessarily understand everything. But if you say, I'm willing to understand and I want to support you, that can be sometimes the, the best thing that, that you can do. And that's that's really, really powerful. I think you kind of touched on this in your answer, but I'd be curious to hear, are there common assumptions, whether they're conscious or unconscious, just ways people act around others who are grieving? I'm curious to hear, are there things that you've seen that, um, you know, we just make mistakes sometimes because we don't know how to respond to people who are grieving? When I'm doing bereavement groups, one of the things I've learned from others and really from from other bereaved individuals is um, sometimes the burden is on the bereaved. And when you're when you're really hurting and your your emotions are just so fresh and so raw, uh, you know, you you have that balance. Do I want to do I want to engage in conversation with someone about the about the loss or or do Mm -hmm. I not want to? And, um, you know, like I, like I said, our traditions 
and rituals help us to some point. And especially from a from a ministry perspective, those rituals are are just so important and they open the doors for communication and for some dialogue and some support. Some denominations have really good best practices, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like our our Jewish friends, you know, they they grieve openly and immediately, you know. Mm-hmm. Their traditions, you know, their traditions allow them to to open up communication with it. I, I think that being able to as a as a pastor or as a as a minister to use those use those rituals um, to allow for communication with it. I, when I tell them, sometimes I, I mention to the um, to the individuals that um, the burden is is oftentimes on them to to say that it's okay to talk, to say their name, to say the deceased's name, mm. to say their loved one's mm-hmm. name, to acknowledge it, and that can be really difficult. Mm-hmm. So you know, we we talk about preparing. Um, in, in bereavement ministry, we talk about preparing people to give them tools um, to be able to understand what are, what are the reactions, like like the holidays and holy days that we just went through. A- acknowledging the loss instead of submerging the loss. Uh, you know, realizing mm-hmm. when you when you need to maybe reach out to someone as a bereaved person um, and give them permission to feel how they're feeling. We don't mm-hmm. do the best job in teaching um in teaching grief, and teaching bereavement. Well, as you're listening to our conversation with Ed, one thing that probably stands out to you is that helping people to process grief can be complicated. Maybe you're worried about saying the wrong thing or you're having difficulty figuring out how to offer that presence. And that's why RallyPoint created the Regroup curriculum. Regroup is a program that equips ministry leaders who want to help hurting people heal. It's a simple, easy-to-follow program written to help people work through things like grief, addiction, and pain. And it works. Like, this is what we used in our ministry for kids who are dealing with grief. It's designed to work alongside your existing ministry and prepares you to address difficult types of situations with competence. Yeah, and we're really passionate about Regroup because we've seen the real change that can happen when people have that guide through difficult moments like the ones we've been talking about today. So if you're a leader who wants to help those hurting people in your community but maybe doesn't feel prepared or is anxious about getting started, we really think Regroup can help. So you can buy the program or just learn more about it by visiting rallypointmin.com slash regroup. One of the things that I've noticed, um, well, I, I have a friend who is uh, a Mexican married. They, they live in Mexico. He's, he's married to an American. And they came back for a funeral for her, uh, her mom. And um, he texted me, he goes, American funerals are weird. They're just really weird. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, everybody's so formal. They dress up and they're completely silent. And he goes, and I was like, well, what are funerals like for you? <laughs> like, what does that mean? He goes, well, in Mexico, there's crying and everybody's emotional and it's, you know, it's much more uh, informal and it goes on for days. And, you know, they have traditions like like Halloween for them, Day of the Dead is uh, is an honoring of of death every year. So there's like a lot more familiarity with, with death. Whereas uh, uh, culturally, uh, I would say uh, American culture is much more stoic and formal and detached in that moment. And so we, the assumptions I think I see um, is, is that we're not supposed to show pain or pain is 
weakness or bad or something like that. And that makes it really hard because we're so unfamiliar. It, it feels like we're in a foreign space when we're at a funeral or afterwards with somebody. It makes it really, really hard to to support someone grieving. So I love that your your recap is for the bereaved, like, hey, let us know what you need because it's not explicit and different people do this differently from each other. So for some, if I said, you know, her name, that person would, would feel worse or awful or be mad at me or, um, or, you know, something. And so I'm like tentative and somebody else, they feel, they feel like, well, you're not honoring them every time you try to skirt the issue or, or walk around it. So I, I like that advice of like, Hey, you do have to tell us what you want, what you need. Um, because we, we, we want, like you, you communicate something as a supporter. We want to support you. We want that. We don't know how. So let us, like, as best you can, let us know how, and we'll do our best to guess. <laughs> no, Bobby, um, that's, that's really great, great points. You know, from, a, from an American culture, we don't really have a tradition that, um, a tradition of, uh, you know, after, after three days, you know, what do, you, what, do you, what do people get for a bereavement time? Three days off, which the implication, <laughs> implication or what they're saying is at the end of three yeah. days or certainly at the end of a week, um, you're, yeah, you should be you know, better. You've grieved already. You've grieved and you've put it yeah. in place. So, so mm. you know, a, a lot of times as a hospital chaplain, when staff are coming back into the into the hospital, um, returning to work, as a chaplain, my practice, and I learned this from another chaplain, was to round back um, with that person. To I want to know when the when they're coming mm. back, not to impose, not to force them to talk about um, situation. Um, but to just do a check-in, and one, yeah. one practice that I that I had from hmm. that I was able to do is yeah. um, when I when I did meet with an employee who suffered a loss, I said you need to get yourself your space where you can feel you can go ahead and cry or 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 take a time out and um, uh, find a find a space where you can where you can do that and kind of reset the day hmm. and know that that people aren't going to be able to know what to say, but you also find mm. so many people that have experienced loss and now have a connector to you that you never knew before. Oh yeah. So mm. especially, especially in miscarriages or stillbirths, um, you know, that's, that's something we don't talk about. Mm. Was that, was that really a loss, you know, for yeah. a miscarriage or, or an infant death? And yes, mm. it was. Um, but what I've found over the mm. years is, um, people will seek them out and say, I understand what you, what, mm. I don't understand entirely because your grief is differently. But I've had a similar yeah. kind of experience, and that can be yeah. very comforting because then you're not alone. Yeah, yeah, that's super true, and it is almost like you enter a different, <laughs> different. I don't want to. I mean, a club almost, but like a sad club. Um, my my wife and I experienced uh, that as well, and people respond really weirdly when you're like, uh, you know, when they when they're like, "Where were you?" or like, Are "We well, we were visiting," you know. The, the the grave site and they're like of a of a miscarriage and you're like well yeah and people you know there, there's um it is weird it's a weird thing to communicate but then you know you have some people who just don't understand and other people who have gone through it and you almost find this commonality this club this support but it's so unspoken it's it's really often hard to find those people there there are certain taboo topics that that are uh, more awkward. And I know I know you wanted to talk a little bit about formal and, and informal kind of support for grief. And um, uh, mm. 
this conversation is bringing me a, um, Hands of Hope is an, a bereavement agency that's in the, in, in the, serves the Kane County area. And um, they run different kinds of support groups for specific losses or general loss. And hmm. um, one of it, one of the groups is called Footprints, um, which is a, a support group hmm. for individuals who've experienced um, the loss of a miscarriage or stillbirth or infant death. And um, once a year for probably the last 20, 20 25 years, there's um, a walk that happens at Bluff City Cemetery that is a collaboration with the mm. cemetery because the cemetery folks and the funeral folks also understand the unique uniqueness of this loss. So it's a walk through the cemetery to the area where the babies are, are interred. And uh, it's an opportunity for those who don't have a cemetery plot. Um, and so, it, you know, one time... Oh, about 10 years ago, um, we did that. And, you know, oftentimes it's people from the, from the support group that come to the memorial, but we, we put it in the paper and it's open for anybody who hmm. want to remember the death of a child. And a couple of years, several years ago, um, there was a woman who, an older woman who stood kind of on the outside. We, we, we walked through the cemetery and we have a brief ceremony at the graveside and, um, we invited her to participate. And she said, no, I just want to be on the side. So, Later on, after the mm. service, um, I went up to her and, and said, I'm glad you could be here. And she said, it's been 40 years since I experienced oh, wow. that loss. And yeah. I've, never, I've never had a place. Uh, we didn't, we didn't mm. bury our, our infant, or the miscarriage. We didn't, mm-hmm. we didn't have a place. Uh, so I've never had a place to be able to, to connect mm. um, with my child. And you've given me a place wow. to connect to my child now. Um, mm. so, so those rituals are just so important. And... And certainly the rituals that we've been doing for years, but also looking at new rituals, new moments that are going to help people express their grief in a positive way, in a healthy way, and in a way that that, um, that they find meaning for. Because um, that connection, I mean, bereavement is about connection to, connection to the lost, to the those that have died, but connection with each other, to that, mm-hmm. have that shared experience of grief that is so healing. So, so. Um, as, as we, we want to take some of this and, and, and have some practical ideas as, as ministry leaders, as, as support people who are listening, what are, what are some of the things that are most helpful for facilitating that connection, that, that healing? What, how would you, what kind of advice would you give um, somebody who, who wants to be helpful? You know, Bobby, there's, there's some of the informal grief support, um, the normal kind mm-hmm. of stuff, like acknowledging that the death directly um, to the individual being able to look at especially in those first days people talk about uh, how important it was to be able to get uh, you know a a casserole a a plate of cookies um, some meaningful and and for people who want to do Mm. something to help somebody in grief I got to do something to take care of them or to make it better some of those practical things are just really very important and um, just make an impact that you don't have to worry about eating or the next plate of food that I have to prepare. As grief affects a whole person, that relationship with the person is is just so, so important. Some of the formal stuff um, where people get hesitant to say something about, hey, I, I think you might be stuck in your grief. You'll, you, you know, at that point, the formal formal grief support, a professional counselor, a pastor, a social worker can be very, very important. Sometimes just mentioning it to the person, um, to the bereaved, 
um, and not not setting up the appointment for them, but letting them take the ownership for mm. for that. But saying um, I'm concerned about you know that you're not you're not eating or you're not sleeping. You know, we've gone a long way in medicine about um, physicians not just automatically prescribing um, medications to help people cope with their grief. You know, medications are appropriate. They can be very helpful and a, a very necessary part. If someone just cannot sleep, um, that sleep deprivation can be exaggerated in the grieving process. Um, mm. So that balance, you know, oftentimes in the, in the emergency room, when somebody is actively just grieving um, physically and emotionally, um, family members will, will come and say, um, can you give them a sedative? Can you give them something to, to calm them down? And um, yeah. for the majority of the time that that happens, um, that that sedative would not be helpful. It would make them, um, I'm trying to think of the right, uh, anesthetizing the pain does not mean that the mm. pain's going to go away. So that balance of, of uh, mm. when do you use medications, when do you not use medications. Um, mm-hmm. another, another formal, you know, there are, there are groups and support, support groups and support services throughout the county facilitated by professionally and trained facilitators, um, like Hands of Hope, like many of the, many of the mental health agencies. So over the last 20 years, we've been able to offer su- support groups focused on the type of death, the circumstances. But with right now with COVID, they're being done differently through Zoom. So that being able to even hug somebody right now is complicated. The whole, I mean, we could talk a lot about um, uh, the COVID relationship with, with grief right now or the COVID mechanisms or best practices um, in, a, in a world where we can't hug each other, where you can't even, a, even touching on the shoulder, um, that physical presence. And mm. part of grief and loss is that absence of that physical presence of the person that died. Um, so this is yeah. this time is exaggerated from as I hear pastors doing funerals um, remotely. Um, it, it's just mm-hmm. been much more difficult. So it's much more it's much more important to have have people reach out and um, in whatever ways possible, don't minimize a card or a letter, something mm-hmm. that somebody can hold and and keep. That's valuable. I know a situation that happened a couple of years ago with with a uh, with a pastor that I was involved with and and he was speaking just to the congregation about some of the things that had been really impactful for him in his season of difficulty and I remember him saying, you know, I didn't have to worry about what I was eating for 2 weeks straight because people were bringing <laughs> breakfast, lunch and dinner. They were writing notes and I was going to bed uh anxious about the situation, but completely um, comfortable with the support that I was getting and uplifted by the support I was getting. And that wasn't, you know, Mm. one person doing two massive things for his family. That was, you know, 40 or 50 people doing the small thing once um, just to come alongside him. And so that's really valuable to think about, you know, especially as congregations or as pastors or as ministry leaders, or even just as people in a small group, you do one thing. And, you know, if there's 10 other people doing that one thing, it makes a massive mm-hmm. difference for the person that's, that's grieving and bereaved, even if that one thing is a card, a letter or a meal. So mm-hmm. that's, that's yeah. really, really valuable. 
I think a, a best yeah. practice is also to look at the year cycle, you know, to mark in your calendar. If you're wanting to support a bereaved person, mark in the calendar important dates or times, birthdays and, mm. and holidays, and just that year anniversary. Not that you have to have an extensive conversation um, or session with, um, with the bereaved, but to acknowledge it. That acknowledging, you know, people don't acknowledge it because they don't want to upset them or, or rekindle, open up the wound. Um, all those things for the bereaved person, um, they might not want to talk about the about the death for you know an hour or have mm-hmm. a session, but that acknowledge acknowledging the loss, acknowledging that it, that this this life was real and these memories mm-hmm. and connection um, was important. Um, it's just yeah. it's, can be so healing. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that. I think is hard hardest about being a ministry leader or a support person, especially pastors in grief, is we tend to feel obligated to say something, to have a truth. Um, I mean, a lot. I mean, we're often tasked with uh, preaching the funeral, and there are some situations, like you said, if it's a hospice situation, and the person was uh, especially a believer with hope, they. They, they died um, hopeful, and it's a really almost a joyful funeral. But there's a lot of other situations where it's a violent death, a sudden death, a car accident, a suicide. Um, you know, we, we even had a, a murder uh, in, in our ministry. And like those situations as a pastor, you feel obligated to somehow interpret the situation for, for your congregants, for the person, for the family. And I think that's that's a huge part of this process that that many of us struggle through. So I, I just I think my question is, what do you think is appropriate to say? What's not appropriate? What have you found to be helpful in those, especially in those chaotic situations? How how much to say versus how much to just be and and hold back? You know, Bobby, I think sometimes um, less is more. Um, you, know, yeah, you do less have, damage when you say less. Yeah, yeah, ex- ex- exactly. Or, or you in your in your wanting in your desire as a pastor to want to help and to comfort and to take care of and to help them mm. resolve it um, in the moment. Um, mm. The the grief is too intense at that point to even try and remember. Yeah. Um, so I think we 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 get stuck into the intellectual part of it, saying, "Okay, these are the these are the steps we need to take so for this person." instead Mm. of just being with the person so i really think you know less is less is more um i think connecting with that um depending on the relationship that you have with with the person um you know Mm. um can be can be key um yeah so not looking for that resolution like we're just just don't look for it and think of it as a long game like this is a long this is a process so we often have that feeling of like, I have to resolve this by the funeral um, or that by yeah. the end of the bereavement time. Yeah. And, and the reality is it's, it's going to take a long time. And so just, just know that maybe, maybe those truth statements will be helpful, but they're not usually at the beginning. Yeah. I think, I think you can also say that you can't fix the situation. And, and sometimes mm. even though, even though our, mm. our beliefs um, our personal beliefs and our and our congregational beliefs in the early bereavement stages, um, 
you speak to the audience that you know and the relationship that you know. So for for some individuals, um, a prayer um, saying thank you, God, for the gift of this person's life can be really important. And sometimes that's the only mm. thing you need to to say. And to say mm. that, you know, one of my favorite passages in bereavement ministry is, I am with you always in the difficult times and in and in, in the good times. And and that mm. a person a person's life, you know, just saying less sometimes is so much more helpful. Um, we use trivia mm. and we use our traditional kind of um, prayers sometimes to um, to bring comfort um, uh, when when that person isn't isn't in a place where um, they are able to hear that or understand it or interpret it. Um, Mm. So that balance, I guess, I yeah. guess, Bobby, I'm saying that the balance of, of supporting the person and giving them hope um, that, mm. that you will be there with them, that you don't have, you don't have the answers, you don't have the remedy to take away their grief, but you do have the ability to sit with them mm. and journey with them when they mm. want to, when they want to engage with you. And that openness and that just leaving the door open. So I was with a, I was with a sudden death two weeks ago. And this was uh, a situation where a 70-year-old mother with one daughter, and because of COVID, the, the daughter had to drop the mother off at the emergency room and didn't see her for four days. And then the mother died suddenly in the hospital. And what she wanted to do, um, she wanted to talk with the physicians that were, that were treating, that had treated her mother, just to, just to make that connection. She needed a connection with her mom to be able to cope mm. with her grief because she could not physically be there. Yeah. And, and so part of what I say to people as I leave, especially in sudden deaths, is there's so much so much information that you've, you've experienced in, the, in, in this time. And um, as things settle, as the fog lifts, there might be questions that you have um, or, or things that I thought I said this, but who did they really say? And so my commitment to them is I give them my card and I say, call me back, whether it's a week, a month or a year. And if you have a question that's unresolved for you, I can't promise you mm. that we're going to resolve it, that I'll be able to find an answer. But I'll promise that I'll be able to at least have someone talk with you with that. And I've been able to do that over my years of ministry. And so this mm. woman, the, her mother died on Christmas Eve. And on New Year's Eve, she called me, the, the daughter called me and said, I would like to talk to the doctor, not not about what what was done or what wasn't done, um, but I would like to talk to somebody who was who was with my mom as she died. You know, so so by setting the bereavement, I think in the early stages of of, of bereavement, we can set the stage for people to have good grief, to be able to grieve in a way that's healthy for them. Hmm. Well, Ed, that is really valuable, and just your experience and wisdom just I'm sure has made such an impact on people's lives and, and I'm sure will be really, really useful for the people listening today. Mm -hmm. So we're so thankful you've been willing to take the time. Yeah. We're so thankful for the time you've yes, given to so many you. people grieving over over decades of your work. And it's mm -hmm. just been such uh, a value to have you on the show today. So thank you. Thank you so much um, for everything yeah, you've you. done, for everything you're doing and for everything you've been able to teach us. I, I thank you for the time uh, time together and the, for the discussion and um, just appreciate your openness to want to help individuals in oftentimes the, the most difficult times in their lives. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you. 
Man, having Ed on the show today, it's such a pleasure to hear somebody who cares so so deeply and so intently, patiently and humbly. Like, I, I don't know, just spending an hour with him, I, I feel yeah. less anxious and more chill. So I just really appreciate that about his presence and his emphasis on on being a ministry of presence. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's my takeaway today is uh, when it comes to grief, I don't have to have the right thing to say. I mm-hmm. just have to be there. Yeah. And I think one thing that I really appreciate about Ed and, and really, you know, want to emulate is that he is very peaceful, you know, and, and that wisdom comes through mm-hmm. in the way he conducts himself in such a peaceful manner. And that, I think it's really helpful for people that are grieving, but I mean, I'm not particularly grieving right now, but it was really helpful for me just to, just to feel like he was really there with us fully invested in our conversation and in us as Mm -hmm. people and paying attention uh, to us. And I think that can be really useful in every Mm -hmm. situation. And especially when people know that you're that type of person, when they are grieving, you can come alongside mm-hmm. them, like he said, in a long-standing relationship and really provide that support by just being present. So, well, you know, I don't know when that next time is that you will be in a situation with somebody experiencing pain and loss, but when you do get to that point, we want to provide you with a way to feel both prepared and confident walking into those situations. So we've created a resource that has just some general ways, some things that Ed has mentioned today mm. that you can approach grief and provide support. So to get that guide, go to rallypointmen.com podcast and subscribe with your email. You'll get a link there where you can download this resource and get others that we've created just for you. And if you like what you heard today, please rate or review this podcast. By doing that, you can empower leaders with tools that can help them to support hurting people. And also, we want to hear from you. So tell us how this episode has helped you out or what challenges you're facing that we could cover next. In order to contact us, send us an email to hello at rallypointmen.com. Thanks for listening. 